Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast presented by Prize Picks. This for UFC San Antonio. I almost said TPC San Antonio, but no, folks, that tournament is no longer on the PGA schedule. We're talking UFC on this show, and no, I am not Paul Shaughnessy. Paul Shaughnessy is on vacation. I am Pat Mayo, and I will remind you all to smash the like for the video. Sub to Mayo Media Network. And if you want to get yourselves into a draw for straight cash. Here's what you do. Go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Dog or Pass Podcast. You have a five-star review up there for the Dog or Pass Podcast. It's what you can do to help out this show more than anything else. And then say something nice about Paul Shaughnessy in the comment, and then uh, you can make it up if you want. I don't really care. But you can put your Twitter handle, your email address, just so I know that you're in the draw and I know how to contact you if you're a winner. $100, Cody Saftik, Fight Network, on the line. That would be nice. Paul can return and see a bunch of nice comments about himself. Yeah, that would be good. And Paul might not remember much from his double bender weekend. So to be able to come out of it and have some positive reinforcement, probably good for him. But that, my man, Pat Mayo, my former roommate, my former college associate, my former work associate, my current work associate. <laughs> Uh, my man, happy to do show a show with you again, brother. Yeah, we haven't done a show together since we both became dads. So that's been fun. Dad life, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine uh, Pat Mayo from back in the day still exists, but all the same, responsible two kids, two kids. You got two sons. Not gonna lie, a little bit jealous, but I'm a girl dad, and I'm loving it. Gets uh, cool every day, and watching like the NCAA tournaments from uh, the last weekend, the National Wrestling Championship. It's like I don't know if I could ever have a son that's gonna win a D1 national title, but uh, a daughter that could win D1 national title. Sign Cody up. So, yeah, super motivated. Last weekend, got the top ticket on our parlays. Great. The rest of it, not so good. Kind of fell apart with the co-main event. Main event didn't go our way. Uh, But, yeah, we've got 13 full fights here in San Antonio. And my man Pat Mayo to be the setup guy. So, hopefully, we can get back to our winning ways. Hit a few good ones. Yeah, I'm a bit like the John Stockton of the Dogger Pass podcast when I come on. I don't know anything about MMA besides what you and Paul tell me and fill me in on. So it's just going to be Pat passing over to Cody. But don't forget, I'm Prize Picks Pat over here. If you want to get in on Prize Picks as well, go to the link down in the description or just go to prizepicks.com. Use code DOP at sign up. They will match you $100 on your deposit. So you deposit $100, you get $100, you have 200 so that's pretty easy stuff and when i was producing the show before megan was i was cleaning up on this shit every single week well i was actually going to say not only are you price fix pat doing that great but you actually have the mayo theory and the mayo theory is it doesn't matter who is fighting if it's women's mma you take that plus money underdog you got yourself a good shot so paul and i were kind of joking and throwing it around and then a couple weeks back it's like oh jessica Draj loses she was the favorite okay all the same we move on to the next week and the next week there was another couple big underdog losses valentina shevchenko she's a minus 850 going into the fight right she's a minus 1400 uh during the fight and then loses and we had been hammering that point that pat always makes hit that live money underdog so so last week finally people had gotten the point they were like okay it's the mayo theory Three women fights on last week's card. First one, Veronica Hardy, plus 325. She scores. Second one, plus 135. Close, close fight. Split decision. Didn't win. And then the next one is plus 165. Uh, it scores as well with uh, with another Casey O'Neill, another like hot prospect going, going down for the count. So people are like full on board now, man. They're full on board. You're not just prize pick Pat. 
I think you figured out a niche part of the market that's like the most profitable niche part of the market. I was really wondering why people were tagging me in these UFC things that were coming through. It's like, <laughs> yeah. plus money. I was like, I, I don't know what is going on here. It's like, I just woke up from, I woke up like, UFC comes on late. I got two little kids. I'm going to bed early on Saturday nights now. And I'm waking up to all these notifications. People are like, thanks for the picks. I was like, I don't remember making picks, but I will take all the credit in the world for picks. But I, I mean, I've been talking about this for like five years since we used to do this exactly. show together. It was just like, because every time you'd come on, you'd be like, well, she's unbeatable. It's like, well, how come the, the underdogs just always win? Remember what, what was that goofy pool that we all played together that time uh, where you got points for picking underdogs? And I would just pick every women's underdog. And I was in like first place in the pool for like eight months. Does that, that, that yeah, still happen? Master. Wait, was that, yeah, Toutmaster. Is, is yeah. that the one where the guy stole all the money? Was it that one? No, that was Manpreet's. Toutmaster has like been going around for like a decade. But you're absolutely right. You pick a bunch of underdogs. I'm sitting fourth in that pool right now. But uh, yeah, it's like a there's 160 people, all of which are good cappers, right? And the angle of hitting these big underdogs is what pays the most because you're getting points per the underdog, right? But if you, if you think about like the biggest upsets, it's always the same thing. It's like, oh, man, I can't believe Juliana Pena beat Amanda Nunez. Women's MMA. Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey was just like the biggest upset. Women's MMA. The biggest numerical upset in the history of the UFC, Maria Agapova losing to Shane Dobson, is another women's MMA fight. And then right when you think it's just a funny har-har joke, or maybe a coincidence, it's like the results just keep speaking for themselves, man. So I'm I'm so iffy when it comes to it now. Like I thought I had an edge before. I totally know I don't now. So maybe we avoid a couple fights here and there, pass on a couple fights here and there. But as a whole, I think we're going to find some decent spots on this upcoming show. Well, that's good news. And for all my friends out there that still play DraftKings DFS for UFC, uh, I have a product that we're launching really soon at runthesims.com. We just launched F1. We had to get F1 in the bag. And the first lineup that we spit out for F1 was the absolute stone nuts. And it won every single GPP. So hopefully we can do that for MMA as well. That should be coming in about a month's time or so. So runthesims.com. It'll have a custom optimizer, lineup builder, everything like that. So I highly recommend that you check that out. We'll jump into it. Corey Sandhagen versus Marlon Vera. Sandhagen, a minus 180 favorite. Vera plus 155 on the line. Five-round fight. The The fight time on prize picks is 24.75 minutes. So I'm guessing this is going to go to decision. Well, it probably goes to decision. Like, I think it goes to decision through no fault of either guy's striking abilities. Like, they're both top-notch strikers. They both have a great ability to finish. It's that both of them happen to be cast iron tough as well. So when you look at Marlon Cheeto Vera knocking him out, you can take a frying pan in this guy's head. He's going to be no worse for wear. Submission game, pretty tight as well. Flip side of that with Corey Sanhagen, he's very durable. They both take a lot of damage. So if you're betting these overs, and again, I think the over's going to hit, it's going to be a sweat the entire time because one guy's getting smashed in the face with a knee and an elbow, and they're flying, and they're flipping, and they're twisting, and they're spinning. It's going to be a wild, chaotic fight between two 135-pound guys. Lots of movement, lots of strikes, lots of big, devastating blows. But ultimately, I am sold on both guys' durability. The way to attack this one, if you're a Corey Sanhagen fan, I think you just hit the, pr the pre-line on Corey Sanhagen, minus 185. You probably take him by decision, knowing how durable Marlon Vera is, knowing how Corey Sanhagen's had fights where he's landed a couple hundred significant strikes and still not gotten his man out. I think you probably try to improve his money line tag by taking that decision. If you're going to bet Marlon Vera, this is he's the live bet master. This guy loses the first round in pretty much every fight he's ever been in. And this is not just, again, some joke. He's lost first rounds to Brad Pickett, Gwang Yu, uh, Roman Salazar. He's lost first rounds to 
Andre Ewell, Song Yudong. Song Yudong is actually pretty dope. But what I'm getting at is he pretty much always drops the first round. He's a slow starter. So anytime you want to bet Marlon Vera, you're probably looking to bet him live. Let him lose the first round and then come away with a much better a plus money price tag. But part of the reason why he is a slow starter, he is such a badass, that is part of the reason why I am picking against him, is that Sanhagen seems to be a fast starter and that the first three rounds are his best three rounds. He's going to accumulate a ton of damage, a ton of significant strikes. He's going to be very active. Marlon Vera, you know, he takes his time. He bides his time a little bit. He's like a tank engine, though. He's going to keep coming. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to be in a fight all the way to the end. But he may need to rely on a fourth or fifth round knockout or submission, likely the knockout, in order to win this fight because you're just dropping those early rounds. And that's kind of what I think happens out of Sanhagen. Sanhagen wins the first two. Three, four, five are going to be dicey. Maybe four, five are Marlins. Maybe three, four, and five, he just needs to win one. But I think if you bank the first two rounds over Marlon Vera, then you can fight, you know, a smart, calculated uh, game plan over the next three, secure one of them, and probably score the decision. So I will go with Corey Sanhagen based on pure volume. Huge Marlon Vera fan. Made a lot of money on Marlon Vera. Always live betted. So again, I can't stress that enough. If you're going to take him, let him lose the first round as he normally does, and then get your money's worth from him as he keeps coming, which... uh, he generally does. So that's that's what you're gonna get out of him. On prize pick, Sandhagen is 107 and a half significant strikes. Like how many rounds will it take him to get at that with the pace you think that he's gonna put on here? Yeah, I wouldn't think it takes all that long simply because Marlon Vera is gonna be there to engage you. He's gonna be there to get kicked, he's gonna be there to get hit. He does a good job of slipping, he does a good job of not getting hit by those big shots, but at the same time, he's not exactly uh the most he's not the most defensively sound. He's got a great chin, sure, but he is there to get hit. When you look at Sanhagen in his last fight against Song Yudong, it's a fourth-round knockout. He had landed 94. His fight prior to that with Peter Yan, he lands 169. His fight prior to that with TJ Dillashaw, he lands 128. So never, if he gets out of... See, even he went three rounds with John Lineker, he lands 120 significant strikes. That was a wild fight where he got backed up the entire time, but you could still see the pure volume out of him. So Cheeto likes to come forward. Cheeto likes to be the bull in the china shop. He likes to make it uncomfortable for you and kind of kill that distance. Whereas Corey Sanhagen loves to play to the outside. If this was in the apex, if this was in a smaller cage per se, I would say probably favors uh, probably favors Marlon Vera, not having to kill as much distance and, and try to find your man. But in San Antonio at the AT&T Center, like it's going to be the big cage. He's going to have ample space to work with. And I think it's really going to benefit a guy like Sanhagen who's got the movement. So do I see Sanhagen maybe taking a little bit too much damage? Sure. Is he is he slowing down a little bit? Not for me to say, but... Uh, you can't fight like that forever. I completely understand that. But he's still young. He's still prime of his career. He's coming off a pretty solid performance over Song Yudong. His fight before that with Peter Yan. Again, Yan, a bit of a slow starter, and you saw how effective Sanhagen was against a guy like that. I think he should win. Uh, the last, And that is my pick. The last thing I will leave you with, though, is yeah, Cheeto Vera at plus money. I mean, he's like a perennial, I am going to fight for your dollar kind of guy. He's very close to a title shot. He's going to come in excellent shape. No doubt about it, you're going to get a very good version of him. I just think stylistically this one plays out towards Corey Sanhagen. Holly Holm is minus 245. Uh, Yana, Jana Santos? You know how... Yana. Yana, all right. She's plus 210, so we're taking her, plus 210, women's MMA. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's that's the tough part, right? If you look at Holly Holm, Holly Holm... Uh, she, what, 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 what has Holly Holm got left in the tank, right? On one hand, she's this world-class boxer, and then since then, the boxing's not exactly going her way, so she switched it up almost, almost exclusively to wrestling and grappling, and to that extent, she's actually been quite effective. Uh, scores a lot of takedowns, still has that high ample volume, but she's there for the take-in, right? So when you say plus money play on units, 
Yuna Santos, that one's going to get me a while. It used to be Yana, Yana Kunitskaya, but she uh, married Tiago Santos, also a former UFC fighter. Not also a former UFC a former UFC fighter. So, yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's Yana Santos now. I don't know how much that is going to benefit her or not benefit her. We saw in this past weekend, Veronica Macedo, last time you saw her in the UFC, trash. She gets married, changes his name to Veronica Hardy, Dan Hardy, former UFC veteran, like Tiago Santos. And it's like, Dan, dude, she made massive improvements. For Yana Santos, I just don't see them happening. I mean, she's big, she's strong, she's okay in the clinch, but I've seen her get physically... Uh, Pressed up against the cage, far too much for my liking. That Holly Holm could revert to that game plan. In terms of the open space, it's like Holly Holm at her best is a much more fluid striker. Better kickboxer, uh, better boxing, better jab, better setup, better output. It's just, I, I do see her kind of declining physically as, as she kind of gets up there in age. And then as I think in that all to myself, she goes ahead and signs a new six-fight deal with the UFC. So Holm's obviously motivated that she's going to be able to continue fighting and fighting at an elite level. All the girls she fights are generally all the best girls in the game. So it's hard to say that, you know, she doesn't have a place in the UFC anymore. It's that she doesn't have a place at the elite level. So minus 250 Holly Holm, I don't like it. I would say on a personal level, she is my pick. And then I would take her by decision as well, because I just don't see her getting a whole lot of finishes these days. But then when you think about the Pat Mayo theory, which is crazy as it sounds at times, is the most profitable way of attacking these situations. Yeah, it's dog or pass. The over of two and a half rounds is minus 275. So let's say you take home and you take home by decision. Sounds dicey to me, but like, how much better are you doing with that? Does that at least get it down to like minus 200? Yeah, yeah. You can get it down to minus 200 range. Um, even even slightly better on some books. So I, I feel like that's the way of attacking it. But uh, Paul had... <laughs> Paul had bet some like guaranteed lock. This girl's going to lose, but she'll lose by decision because she's super durable. And then she just packed it in. She was 40. She loses by second round, first round E-bar and then uh, retires right afterwards. So anything can happen. I I, I would say, yeah, you're, if you're going to bet home, you try to improve the pri price tag by taking that home by decision. As I say that, Yana Santos is coming off the first round lockout, knockout loss in her last fight against Irene Aldana. So she just got knocked out in her last fight. How is she going to come back from that? She's 33 years old. Do you get better at that age? Does your chin get more durable at that age? Is Holly Holm, you know, got no pop in her hands anymore? Yeah, it makes it dicey, but I can't, I, I'm not going to lie. I would personally bet Holly Holm by decision because I don't want to bet Holly Holm at minus 250 straight up. Holly Holm by decision at DraftKings Sportsbook is minus 115. Yeah, there you go. Like you're you're improving the line by like 135 points. So why would you not? Now could Holly Holm kick her upside the head? Sure, it's MMA. Totally understand that. But you feel way better about the idea of betting Holly Holm at near even money if she wins a decision, as opposed to just her straight up at minus two fifty slipping on a banana peel and man, so much bad luck. You tear a knee, you hurt your shoulder, you were sick coming in, you you know, your bad game planning. Like, it's just anything can happen when you get in there. So women's MMA and little Cody Safnick haven't really been getting along too good lately. Holly Holm should win this fight. Chances are she'll now lose this fight. Just the way she goes lately. So she is 47 and a half on significant strikes. Looking at her past two, 96 in a loss and 154. That's a lot in a win. Mm. 
And those were both by decisions. One of them was a split decision that she lost. She won by unanimous decision. And then when she fought Raquel Pennington, she only got off 30 significant strikes in that, and that went to decision. So I'm just kind of, this doesn't seem like the perfect spot for prize picks for me either. So probably just a. It's a, t- it's a tough one because, again, with Yana Santos, she's coming off that first round knockout loss to Irene Aldana, right? And you can never use MMA math. But like Holly Holm fought Irene Aldana two fights back and over five rounds, lands the 155 significant strikes, landed five takedowns. Pure domination. She probably goes out there and does the same thing. And you think, oh, man, 250 was a great price tag. I should have loaded up on it. Yeah, just, you know, in in this division, things tend to happen. So you're always going to have that little bit of uneasiness. But I, I would think she hits the over. My only one tiny issue is if you got someone that's pure, I fight from distance, like Holm used to be, landing 40, 50, 60 significant strikes, it's easy to see. Whereas Holmes fighting a lot in the clinch now and with takedowns. And sometimes they'll land a ton of these short little short uh, strikes within the clinch, short little elbows, short little knees. And whoever's counting, they're not they're not counting them. So at the end of the fight, it's like, how did I only get 40 significant strikes? I was dominating. But it's like, well, what is a significant strike? That the language is a little bit gray. So I think she hits that number. That number seems low. I think she hits the over. But that being said, I can see this being largely contested in the clinch because both women at this stage of the career seem to prefer the clinch. Okay, so Sandhagen over 107.5 or Holm over 47.5 significant strikes. Which one do you like more? Sandhagen because there's very little doubt in most people's minds that this is going to be a train wreck. These guys are going to meet in the center of the cage and they're going to throw it down. There will be uh, punches exchanged. Holm, Holm could go in the game plan of just neutralizing her and wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. There was a time where she couldn't wrestle, so you knew what you were getting out of her. She was going to strike. Now... She can. She spent a lot of time working on her craft, working on that ability to use the wrestling, to use the grappling, use the jiu-jitsu, use those transitions. And I think because she's a little bit older, she doesn't want to take as much damage anymore. She's usually using the wrestling, using the grappling. So Sanhagen, I feel like I know what I'm going to get out of him. Holm could flip the script and have a very low output fight. So I would feel better about the main event over. Nate Landwehr and Austin Lingo. Minus 225 for Nasty Nate and plus 190 for Lingo. Right now, the fight time on prize picks is 12 and a half minutes to juxtapose those with the odds. The over of two and a half rounds is actually even money, and the under under two and a half is minus 130. So it's pretty even on both sides. So probably get this into the third round and see what happens. Is Landwehr really deserved to be a minus 225 favorite here? So I think Nate Landwehr should be at minus 225 against anybody because he's going to go out there and he's going to fight to the damnedest of his abilities to the death if need be. But yeah, he's 34 years old and he fights reckless, so reckless that he gets himself caught a lot of the times. His name's Nate the Train Landwehr and uh, the train will run itself off the tracks because he's just a crazy guy. Uh, Fight Network had, well, we had like North American rights to M1 Global, right? M1 Global is a Russian promotion, pretty much all Russian guys that can't get visas to come over to North America. The odd time they'll bring in an American guy to come get smashed, some dude from France, come get smashed, some guy from the UK maybe, come get smashed once in a while, but you're coming in to get smashed. Nate Landwehr, Nate Landwehr volunteers. Hey, I'm from Clarkstown, Tennessee. Might as well take a vacation over to Mother Russia. He shows up. This guy's this guy's insane, man. He's absolutely an insane person. He fights Mikhail Korobov, 13 and 2 at the time, knocked him out in the second. Victor Kolznik, 14 and 3. Kazmet Dalgiev, 10 and 1. Andre Letziev, 8 and 18 and 7. A rematch with Victor Kolsnik, 16 and 4. He beats them all. All of them. And where he is also a slow starter, like he'll kind of get his bell rung a few times in the first round. He just keeps coming and he breaks guys down. 
He's a former like track standout. I, I wish I had the exact details for you, but he was a D1 track runner. He had a D1 scholarship. His high school like four four or his high school forty yard dash would have put him as the third fastest guy in the elephant the NFL combine that year. So he's a freak natural athlete. Thing is, is that he's a fighter more than anything else at heart. So when when the going gets tough, Nate Landwehr has got good cardio, but at thirty four and the amount of damage he's taken, he's positioned himself more as a fifty fifty guy. So I bet the bank on him in his UFC debut against Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns sucks, and Herbert Burns has no cardio. And Nate runs himself face first into a knee and got KO'd. His next fight against Darren Elkins, a fight of the year candidate. Uh, he fought real sloppy. He did win. Not a great fight for him, but all the same, he beat Elkins. It was dope. And then he fights Julian Arosa where he gets KO'd in the first round again. Flying knee, 56 seconds in. So now you're, there's an uneasiness. But Nate Landwehr, then he, he beats Ludovic Klein, third round submission. And then he gets this David Onama. So just for the record, he's a plus 270 underdog over David Onama. James Krause, the now banned MMA coach, reportedly put $2 million on David Onama. Him and his group of betters had $2 million riding on him. And Nate, Le- Nate the train landwehr, bad first round, kicks his ass, baby. Just keeps coming. That's who he is. So I like betting him because I know that he's either going to win me some money or he is going to die trying. And I just can't fault the guy for that. The uneasiness comes from you're paying minus 225 on a guy who could very easily get himself KO'd trying to get the KO. It's a bit of a tight and risky proposition. This fight with Austin Lingo, though, I'm not seeing that KO come from Lingo. Lingo was uh, an LFA veteran, comes to the UFC, and he's had mixed results. In his debut against Yusuf Zalal, he just very flat-footed, one-dimensional boxer, no wrestling, no takedown defense, uh, no ability to cut off the cage, and he just got very frustrated in that. He did win his next two, one against Jacob Kilburn, who represents the lowest of the low level of, of UFC fighter, a guy that never won a fight in the UFC, a guy that should have never been in the UFC. So he did beat him, and then he beat Luis Saldana. Saldana beats him in the first round. Saldana's doing well in the first six, seven minutes, then Saldana ties. That's what allows Lingo to take back over. Nate Landwehr doesn't tire, man. He just keeps coming. So if Lingo's going to re- require his opponent to maybe fade down the stretch to work his way back into it, it's not going to happen. And so he was supposed to fight Jonathan Pierce, Austin Lingo, Pulls out with an injury. They book him versus David Onama, the guy that Nate Landwehr pulled the big upset over. Austin Lingo pulls out. They book him over Ricardo Ramos last weekend, two weekends ago. Ricardo Ramos misses weight. So they've just shifted the fight with Nate Landwehr, who had an opponent fall out not that long ago to this card. So for Lingo, it's a completely different matchup. I don't think he's going to be able to utilize his boxing nearly as well. Could he just clip Nate Landwehr walking in? Of course. It's Nate. He's got his hands down. He's there to get hit. And he's 2-2 two and two in the UFC, both losses coming by first-round knockout. Yeah, it's on the table. I get it. But if Lingo doesn't get that quick finish, uh, which I'm banking on him not getting, I think Landwehr just backs him up, breaks him down, does what he needs to do, and gets the job done. I think when you're fighting in a place like San Antonio with a live crowd and the, and the fans get ruckus and they get going, then I think that'll urge on a guy like Nate Landwehr to throw down. Lingo's from Texas. Could that persuade the judges? Will the fans be in his corner? No. The fans are in the corner for crazy people like Nate Landwehr. doesn't matter what part of the world he is from. And you fight like that, people like you. They're not going to boo him. Zero chance they boo him for Austin Lingo. He's going to go out there. He's going to get the place raucous, the place going nuts. The judges will see he's the guy coming forward, landing the shots. And I think he wins. I can't put him on the top ticket because of potential durability issues and just the fact that there's zero ring IQ involved in what he's doing. Um, but certainly someone that probably makes, you know, third or fourth line this week. 
You brought up lingo, no takedown defense whatsoever. I was looking at the prize picks for Landwehr takedowns under 0.5. He has none in his past five UFC fights. So it doesn't even seem like he tries to take people down. Obviously, I don't watch him. You do. Is this a spot where he might end up getting a takedown because his opponent can't stop it? Yeah, I think it could be. It's just the way he's fighting is he wants the 50 Gs, right? Because even if I lose, if Dana cuts me a check for 50000 for a bonus, a fight of the night bonus, then it's all good. And so when guys that get takedowns kind of not as much get the $50,000 bonus. So I could see him just saying no takedowns, throw them out the window. But yeah, with Lingo, like he's going to be flat-footed and he's going to look to box. If he stings Landwehr and Landwehr needs a moment, then I think he does take him down. The other thing is with Nate Landwehr, if you look at the guys he's fought in the UFC, um, Julian Arosa is a BJJ black belt. Darren Elkins is a BJJ black belt. Herbert Burns is a BJJ black belt. Like I could understand him maybe not wanting to take down those guys, but he's got a good ground game. Two fights back against Ludovic Klein, he didn't take him down, but he choked him unconscious with an anaconda choke. Like... He's he's got solid ground. Believe you don't fight in Russia against Russian guys and don't know what you're doing. He can wrestle. He can grapple. It's just he feeds into the the sound of the crowd, the the noise of the crowd. That's what gets the guys blood pumping. And just watch any promo on him. He's a, he's a he's a certified crazy person. But he's the he's the kind of guy that you want to tune in Saturday night to watch, even if you're just gonna catch a couple fights because you got a crying baby in the next room. His is the one you set the alarm for. Macy Barber and Andrea Lee. Barber's a minus 275 favorites. Now we got an underdog in Lee at plus 235. And you're going to tell me why Macy Barber can't lose. But let me throw this out here at you. (laughs) When she does lose, how does Lee win? When she does lose, how does Lee win? Lee wins by sprawl and brawling her. Like she's got, she's had porous takedown defense in the past, but if she can shore up her game and keep the fight standing, she sprawl and brawls her way to victory. I don't think that Macy Barber's a great striker quite yet. And you pretty much just saw this exact same, not exact same matchup, but something similar last weekend in the Casey O'Neill fight. Casey O'Neill, just like Macy Barber, is a good looking, physically and performance wise, good-looking prospect, right? And the marketing machine's behind her. She's an excellent grappler. She gets the fight to the ground. She's going to style on you. As a result, you're a big favorite, an unwarranted big favorite over a seasoned veteran of the division. And that's exactly what she got. She gets a girl uh, who's not supposed to do much, but a girl that's challenged. Jennifer Maya's fought for a world title. Jennifer Maya has 10 fights in the UFC. Jennifer Maya only loses to girls like Caitlin Chikagian and Manil Fioro, also title challengers. So she's kind of creme de la creme gatekeeper, you know? That's too big of a spot for Casey O'Neill. The end result is Casey O'Neill gets boxed up for all three rounds, gets no takedowns, gets beat up standing, loses a wide unanimous decision, underdog caches. So I think that's what you would be looking for this week is that Macy Barber's last fight against Jessica I, she scores no takedowns, right? That wasn't really part of the game plan. She wasn't able to get it as, as down to the ground as easily as some would have maybe thought she would have. Her fight before that with Montana De La Rosa, it goes... 15 full minutes she landed one takedown her fight before that with miranda maverick 15 full minutes one takedown if she's not gonna wrestle then she's gonna be forced to strike i i andrea lee could in theory win a striking bat the reason why coward cody never pulls the trigger on these things is to me it's not just wrestling versus uh striking I think the element of cardio is there. Lee just sends to fatigue. She comes in in excellent shape with six-pack abs and jacked-up biceps, fights a very good, strong first round, and then you can kind of see her fatigue as time goes. Macy Barber, she's like, I want to say she's 24 now. 
She's very young. She's got the cardio of a kid, man. She just she's able to keep going. She had a very competitive fight with Alexa Grosso in which she won the third round. And Alexa Grosso is now the UFC champion. So they've not done her any favors. She's 24 years old now. So fight to fight, she makes astronomical, not astronomical amount of improvements. She's going to be improving, though, fight to fight. Yeah, I would say she probably beats Lee. But for this line, knowing how we've been getting burned the last number of weeks now, yeah, yeah, I want nothing to do with this line. Way too wide for my liking. I do see a path to victory for Andrea Lee. Manel Cap and Alex Perez. Minus 170 to plus 145. So what are actually the shorter odds until we get to the very bottom of the card? We've seen some pretty wide gaps in between the favorites and the underdogs so far. So this one's a little bit closer. How do you cap it? Yeah, I cap it for cap. I mean, he's just like a very athletic fighter. He used to fight in Japan. Uh, and again, very explosive. BJJ Brown belt, got some judo in his back pocket. You know, guy guy has dynamic striking, and he seems to be more live or die by that big power. When you see his wins in the UFC, Ode Osborne, Zaga Zumagulov, he gets that quick finish. His last fight against David Dvorak, he was forced to at least fight, you know, for the 15 minutes. And I thought his cardio looked pretty all right. I thought his striking, again, that's what he's known for, looked pretty good for the most part. Um if there was one fault on him is that he's not the highest volume guy is that he'll rely on the big power. So his two previous wins in the UFC first round knockouts, you're playing DraftKings, You're looking for that guy with that high upside that might get a quick finish. Manel cops your guy when he is prolonged, he just doesn't do enough. And he's a terrible DraftKings player because he's not going to land a whole lot of takedowns. He's not going to land a whole lot of significant strikes. He's not going to do a whole lot. That fight with David Dvorak, he did score a clean knockdown. Stuff like that will help him win the decision. It's just, you know, he's, he's, He's not an exciting three-round guy. He's either that first-round finish or he'll have to settle a little bit. Alex Perez, there was a time where I'd say Alex Perez could offer him everything he can handle. This guy can wrestle, BJJ Black Belt, out of a very, very credible team, Timo Yam in California. I like Perez. And his career is looking good. He's picking up solid wins. He beats a UCR Formiga in a, in a win that, you know, aged pretty good. He's a solid fighter. And then he takes a short notice fight with Davidson Figueredo, who's the UFC champion. So in one hand, he just fought for UFC title. Short notice, sure. He was in good shape. He gets choked out less than two minutes in. When you lose in less than two minutes in a UFC title fight, they're not going to throw you back in a UFC title fight for a very long time. So he was kind of forced to go back to the pecking order, but he's been injured. He's been on the sidelines. He's had a number of fights fall through. He's had opponents missed weight. He's missed weight. Don't really know where he's at. Finally, they book him versus Alexander Pantoja. It's his big coming back party, and he gets submitted in a minute and 30 seconds. So I don't think he's got to worry about getting submitted here against uh, Manel Cop. Manel Cop's looking to knock him out. To me, though, he just he's not moving as fluid. He's not as sharp as he used to be. Uh, Manel Cop probably lines him up with something and catches him. But if Cop doesn't knock him out, I think there's a wrestling advantage potentially for Perez. Perez has the volume advantage. Perez has the experience advantage. I've been a coward to this point in the show and pretty much just picked the favorites. I think I'll pick Alex Perez. He'll probably get knocked out with a flying knee partway through the second round. I'll look like an idiot. Partway through the first round, I'll look like a fool. But in terms of live underdogs, he's got some legitimate skill. And I don't think anybody's faulting him for losing to Davidson Figueredo and Alexander Pantoja, two of the best guys in the world. So let's go back to fighting, you know, lesser competition. Manel Cop's a hell of a fighter, but I think volume, work rate, and just continuously grind them down. I think I think that would be the key. So I'm going to take a slight underdog shot here on Alex Perez. 
I like it because I was going to really try to trademark that nickname, Coward Cody, and ask you how the chalk mm-hmm. was all tasted. But yeah, this is a little shot. I mean, I, you know that I'm on Santos and Lee uh, when I start throwing down my bets on this. I never really bet MMA unless I'm doing the show with you guys. Uh, either I'm hosting it or I'm producing it. But, you know, that's three underdogs for me now. Let's make an underdog parlay. You'll play the PRP. I'll play just the underdogs that you want to select along with the women's MMA ones. And I'll get paid like 3000 to one on my money when it hits. Quite possibly, yeah, yeah. High insight. But if you could go back in time and just bet those parlayed with those women fights, oh man, you'd be so rich. Whatever. What can you do? Let's get some. We'll get some future ones. I, I remember. Yeah, I think because you had mentioned that we lived together uh, when we worked together. You were at Fight Network and I was at Fantasy. There was one night where I was going out and you had a bunch of buddies over to watch the fights. And you gave me basically, I was like, hey, give me a parlay for the entire card. So I have something to sweat when I come back at like 1 a.m. And I walked back in the door. You're like, hey, that's about to hit. And I was like, eh? I just checked it. I won like five grand that night. So thank you for that. That was very nice. So the first PRP that I ever hit, you and I were living together, and I just want to bring up the exact. It was UFC Fight Night 32, right? And uh, it was a 11 fight card, and we hit Vitor Belfort knocked out Dan Henderson, uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira, or sorry, Cesar Ferreira uh, beat Daniel Serafian. I got a buddy named Daniel Serafian now. Rafael Cavalcanti beat Igor Procrides. Brandon Thatch beat Paulo Thiago. Ryan LaFlair beat Santiago Ponzinibbio. Jeremy Stevens beat Ronnie Jason. Jeremy Stevens is plus money underdog in that spot. Sam Cecilio, Godfredo Pepe, Amari Aquida. To, to cut it to you straight, one, two, there was there was 22 guys in the card. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Nope, he's still on the roster. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. 21 of the 22 guys are no longer with the promotion. Dude, that was... But anyways, it was it, a greasy PRP hit, and it, it changed it was my life. Great. I was selling weed, if you remember, and this was like legal money, so it was great. It was good news. And you have to remember, <laughs> that was nine years ago, so... It's not yeah, shocking it that these guys aren't on the roster anymore. 2013. So 10 years ten ago. Year, almost, almost, yeah, it'll be 10 years in September. So there we go. Wow, yeah. man, time flies. Yeah. That yeah. PRP changed my life. There we are. I mean, it changed my night. I mean, I went and passed out like almost immediately afterwards, but it's fantastic news. I actually was, I was in Vegas last week or last month and I ran into one of Hollywood Mike Clay's old, I guess, colleagues. They worked together at the time that we flew up Hollywood Mike Clay. And he brought up to me that me and you, that I was tasked with showing Hollywood Mike Clay around, which involved us going out to the bar and then us bringing him back to our place and having like an after party with 12 people in our apartment. And how, like, when Mike Clay got back and talked to this guy, how insane he thought we all were and how terrifying that night was. Because that was the night you picked up the tequila bottle off the table and just hucked it through the Juilliard windows. Yeah, and it actually went right down the center line. Yeah. Like, imagine it was slightly to the left or right. No, um, I, I, I can. I would have had to pay, hit another PRP to pay for the damages. <laughs> it, we lived across the street from a U-Haul, like, where they, yeah. they stored all the trucks. The tequila bottle hit the windshield of a U-Haul truck and it just bounced off. It was fucking incredible. Bounced right off. No damage. It did not. The bottle didn't break, right? The windshield didn't break. And we lived on the eighth sixth, floor, sixth floor, sixth floor, sixth floor of the condo. Like, man, that thing was flying. But uh, yeah, I thought for sure. I was like, Mike Clay. Ah, that was a drunk stupor. Lesson learned. They gave uh, Pat a company card and said, here's a budget. Show the guy a good time. Oh man. I'm sure it was, 
I know I have a good time. I don't know if Mike I, Clay had a good time. He was a good guy. I'm hoping he had a good time. So, oh, I mean, I, maybe he had a good time. I don't think he quite remembers all of the night. I know he remembers that part. I don't think anyone was going to forget that part. I can't remember if that was the night that Paul put me in that headlock or not. And Paul, Paul will always bring up that he's 1-0 versus me in fights when I was in a drunken stupor. He sat. And this is, I mean, Paul is a lot thinner than Paul used to be. Put it that way. He had me in a headlock. He was sitting in a chair and just leaned all of his weight on my throat when I was going to tie my shoes. So, so true story. So Pat and Paul are grappling in the, in the, the hallway to go out, right? And they're both hammered. But Paul especially. And there's a fold-up seat. In the hall, there's nothing else in the hall other than a weight scale because we weigh ourselves all the time and uh, a fold up seat, right? And Paul gets this guillotine choke on Pat, but he can't quite finish it. And then, whereas most people's arms would have just gone tired, they would have gone tired, let go. He proceeds to sit down, he sat down in this foldable seat in the hallway and just held the choke. And then finally, Pat gets on top of Paul and then eye gouges him. And there was a DQ win for, for Paul Shaughnessy because of the eye gouge, but. My last story, we'll move on. I met uh, Pat in college, right? So we're going to college of sports media, and it's like the first or second day, and we're talking, and everyone's like, oh, I'm a football guy. I'm a baseball guy. I'm a hockey guy. So many hockey guys. So I'm talking to Pat, and then uh, he's like, oh, what, what sport are you into? And I'm like, oh, I'm an MMA guy. Like, you know, I'm into fights. Pat Mayo says, well, like, I've had, I've had 30 or 40 fights, he says. I said, you've had 30 or 40 fights? He says, yeah. I says, yeah. How many of them have you won? He says, none. <laughs> He says, I've never won. He says, I go to parties. I belittle people and beat them verbally until they can't take it anymore. And they sucker punch me out. And, and I'm like, I've never heard anybody ever be open like that. I got my ass kicked all the time, right? And there was another guy in the college that they were, they went to the same high school or something. And yeah, he was like, yeah, Pat was like, had an uncanny ability to just like beat people verbally, mentally. And then, uh, as a guy that's been beat verbally, once you get beat verbally, you generally move to the physical realm or I'll fight you, right? So yeah, that was it. But he was so open about it. He's like, oh, I've had 30, 40 fights. How many of you want? Uh, none, none. It was, it was pretty solid, pretty solid guy. So yeah. I also saw a midget's full-size friend slap Pat Mayo in the face one time. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> he said he was wee man. Like the guy had it coming. You don't go around telling people you're a wee man and then get offended when people call you wee man for the rest of the night. I thought it was Wee Man. He took. It looked like him. He, and he told me he was. <laughs> That's true. He looked just like him. Yeah. Yeah. That is fair. That here, is fair. Here we are. Next fight. Jesus Christ. Uh, Chai D. Nijokuani against Albert Dureyev. Minus 155 to 135. How close am I in any of those names? You actually got Njikwani not too bad. Like, I thought that would probably be the hard one. Albert, no. pretty straightforward. Uh, Chidi, you know, the way that people remember that one is Chidi Chidi Bang Bang, which is, by the way, his nickname. So uh, I got to sign me up for some Chidi Chidi Bang Bang. Albert Jiraiya is going to give him all types of trouble and that he has a massive wrestling advantage here, for sure. If he gets a hold of you, he's generally going to get takedowns. Uh, you know, a guy that very effective on the Russian regional scene, fighting against decent level of competition. He is a, repler, a wrestler grappler. In his short time in the UFC, it's been pretty much that. His debut against Roman Kopilov, again, easy takedowns. He's able to hold him down. But you see in the Kopilov fight, he's very uncomfortable standing, does not get hit well, and tends to swell a lot around the eyes. So visually for the judges, it's damage and they're going to score it against you. Once he does get the takedowns, he's not doing a whole lot. And if he can't get the takedowns, he's up shit's creek. 
His next fight against Joaquin Buckley, this is somebody he had trained against. So Buckley goes into the fight saying, yeah, Derive probably takes me down, but Derive's never been punched in the face by me because we're just training partners. And so when the fight starts, that's actually how it played out. He had a way harder time getting down Buckley in an actual fight. Buckley started to land shots on him, you know, slow him down, tire him out. And his eye just swells completely shut. It ends up being a TKO stoppage due to the doctor being like, yeah, you can't see out of an eye. This one's all over. So does he have wrestling advantage? Sure. Could he use that wrestling advantage? Yeah. But my problem is, is that he's 34 years old. And that's, that's by his own Russian account. I'd love to see the passport. It's possible that he's older than that, but he's not going to be making any improvements to his overall game because Usada is knocking on your doorstep all the time. And he lives in Las Vegas. He's not going to be able to get away with any type of performance enhancer. That's going to really lead his cardio to get all that much better. So I would say this guy's probably on the slight decline. Chidi Chidi Bang Bang, there was a time where this guy would have been absolute dead meat to a guy like Albert Duraev because Chidi is an excellent Muay Thai fighter with absolutely no takedown defense and no grappling. He gets thrashed on these guys all the time. But like any other mixed martial artist, you want to mix the martial arts. You got to know a couple martial arts if you want to mix them together. So he starts grappling a lot, ends up getting a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and Chidi and Jaquani has been using that black belt, I think, a lot, a lot more effectively lately. On the contender series against Mario Souza, he absolutely battered him pillar to post. Cardio looked improved. Ground game looked improved. His fight with Marc-Andre Barrio, it's a 16-second knockout. For the record, Marc-Andre Barrio has, like, very, very solid durability. But Chidi's an excellent striker. But it's just like Happy Gilmore when he figures out how to putt. Now he's a dual threat. Now he's not just a one-dimensional guy with a long drive. He's got his striking. Is that now he can fall back on his grappling. His last fight with Gregory Rodriguez, he... Ends up losing one of the most exciting back and forths you're going to see. But it was named, I think, the second or third biggest upset of the year because Chidi's got Rodriguez dead to rights and Rodriguez ends up pulling this miraculous comeback. In my mind, seeing I had a guy that hurt and I let him off the hook, he's going to fight this one a little bit smarter. Derive may shoot the takedowns, but Chidi and Jaquani's got a height advantage. It's going to be hard to pull him to the ground. Once you do pull him to the ground, I think he neutralizes. It's that time that's spent on the, on the, on the standard department I think he's just going to beat him with a teeth kick, nice little jab, right hand that's going to break around the guard. The longer the fights goes, Derive's going to tire. The takedowns are going to become less frequent. Chidi works his way back into it. So this is a very close and competitive fight. Again, I wouldn't fault anyone for taking Derive because he's got the stylistical advantage. I don't think he's going to pull it together. Chidi ends up winning this thing down the stretch. So the pick is Chidi and Jaquani, and I'm also going to have an, uh, an eye on the live um, market. If that he loses the first round, but he doesn't get finished, and it looks like Derive's starting to slow down a little bit, I think Chidi comes back and wins two and three. If he wins two and three, the over-under rounds for this is one of the few on the card that's one and a half instead of two and a half. And it's like even money on each side of the one and a half. And the prize picks fight time is seven and a half minutes. So even if you get midway past the second round, that's going to be a winner. It sounds like you think this might go a little bit longer than the books do. Yeah, listen, Chidi knocked out Barrio in 16 seconds, so he could do it to anybody. But Duraev is a cast iron Russian. I'll, I won't take that away from him. He can take one hell of a shot. Buckley's a power puncher, and it took him a couple rounds to swallow the eye shut. So I feel like it's going to get over one and a half. If it's Chidi having his way, he takes over a round and a half to just break him down slowly and put him away. If it's Duraev having his way, he's going to hold on to him with these downs, but not get a whole lot of ground and pound or submission threats going. So uh, I think the over one and a half hits regardless of who wins. And so that's a, probably a better way of attacking it in that it doesn't matter who wins. You just need them to fight for seven and a half minutes. Yeah, I'm checking that on the prize picks. I'll have my prize picks card. I've been making it as we've been going through here. And we'll see. Prize you know, picks pass. Prize picks pass. Well, prize picks pass. 
Put down just like you can too. You deposit 100, you get the free 100 at prizepicks.com with code DOP. And then I'll try to turn that 100 into 300. Then all of a sudden you have 400 and you're good to go if you sign up with code DOP or the link down in the description. Okay? Do that right now. Thank you. Tucker Lutz. Lots of shit. That's what we call a guy I know. Name Lutz. Against Daniel Pineda. Although in this line, Lutz isn't shit because he's minus 280. And Daniel Pineda is plus 240. What you got? Yeah, write the time code for me. But uh, basically, if you ain't tucking, you ain't fucking. We're going with Tucker Lutz this weekend. I think that he's going to get the job done against Pineda. Approach that I'll be going with pretty heavy this year is that you don't want to be betting these one-round Possible that they're going to win the fight in that one round. Absolutely, that's what they do. But for the most part, you've got to be a little more well-rounded and fight for the full 15 minutes. We see time again, week in, week out, win the first round. And then notoriously bad gas tanks, they start to fade, they fall apart. I guess the most recent example was this past weekend was Maquan Americani. Here's a guy who's basically invincible in the first round. The longer the thing goes, he just completely falls apart. Daniel Pineda, in a nutshell, is exactly that. He's 37 years old, and pretty much everything is first round, first round, first round. This is just his recent streak of prior to coming to the UFC, right? Second round finish, 58 seconds in. Minute 10 of the first round. 51 seconds of the first round. 333 of the first round. 29 seconds of the first round. Four minutes of the first round. Then he got caught being on steroids. So those last two wins, Jeremy Candy and Mavlid uh, Kaspilayev, his two biggest wins for the record, Pulled off his record, no contest. So the guy's on juice, and he's a first-round finisher. BJJ Black Belt, kind of big for the division. Striking looks okay, but only for two or three minutes. He can't continuously strike for a prolonged period. He's not comfortable striking. It's quick bang, 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 try to get the fight to the ground, try to get the submission. The UFC actually does sign him. They match him up with the only guy in the division with worse cardio than him, and he wins. Beats Herbert Burns. His next fight with Cub Swanson, he looked awful. He looked old. He looked slow, flat-footed, got hit a whole lot, knocked out second round by Cub Swanson, right hand. And then his very next fight against Andre Feely, he's getting absolutely killed. It's the best Feely's ever looked, or the worst that the Daniel Pineda's ever looked. Like, bad go, man, getting beat up. And he gets poked in the eye, and then, oh, I can't fight. Most guys take a minute or two. Some guys will take the five minutes few guys say i cannot continue but he was getting his ass kicked so bad he pulled the i continue now they can't on that so they've held on to him he's done a little bit of grappling i guess in his off time but keep in mind pat daniel pineda actually signed with the ufc in 2012 he fought in the ufc from 2012 until 2014 going two and four in the ufc and this is him back 10 years later a 37 year old version that had a couple first-round finishes that were exciting, and now it's shown in the UFC that if he doesn't get that first-round finish, he's as good as dead. He hasn't fought in just two years. Is he suddenly that much better? No. He's got one round to make it happen. So, again, this could be a live betting spot where you try to bet Tucker Lutz after the first round, assuming he survives the first round. But even then, I just think his takedown defense is too solid that Pineda doesn't take him down. If Pineda doesn't take him down, he can't get his grappling going. If he can't get his grappling going, he's done. Tucker Lutz is a better striker, more volume. I think he's going to push a little bit of a pace, kind of have him moving, kind of work him a little bit. Uh, Pineda will do takedowns. Pineda will try to strike back. But the more you cause him to work, the quicker he's going to fatigue. Now, two years removed from his last performance in the UFC, not on the juice anymore, on a bad losing streak, one-round fighter. I can't get behind him. 
when guys play stuff like DraftKings and they end up posting tickets where they've won $100,000, $200,000, it's generally because they got guys like Daniel Pineda for real cheap and they pulled off that first round finish. So I understand that there's a spot for him. I understand there's a way to utilize a guy like that that's just going to go bang for broke. But in terms of me trying to parlay, a guy like me trying to, you know, value in a certain guy, Pineda is just way too concerning for my liking. So even though Tucker Lutz hasn't had a, a great performance, like a great uh, run in the UFC to this point, even though we got dominated by Pat Sabatini in the grappling, and that would cause give you some cause for concern for a guy like Pineda, this is a three-round fight, not a one-round fight. Because of that reason, I think Lutz breaks him down. Steven Peterson and Lucas Alexandra. Peterson is a minus-155 favorite. Alexandra, a plus-135 dog in this spot. The over two-and-a-half rounds is juiced up to minus-160. The prize picks fight time, 14.75 minutes. So they expect this to go to decision. First of all, do you see anyone finishing here? No, Steven Peterson's super durable. Like, he's got a decent round game. It's possible that if Lucas Alexander was real tired, maybe he can sub him late in the fight. But I, I kind of feel like this thing's going to decision. All right. Do you like Peterson, though? Uh, I could be tempted into a dog play, but I think you're just forcing plus money, if anything. Lucas Alexander seems to have a kickboxing uh, advantage. If he's be able to stick his feet and, and have a kickboxing battle with Peterson, then I think he's the more skilled technician. The thing with Peterson is that he just comes forward the entire time. Like the guy is the guy is not reckless, but he is a forward pressure fighter. And similar to another fighter from Texas by the name of Alex Morono, there's really nothing about his game that's overly exciting. No, no real part of his game that's overly high level, but the guy just he's in your face the entire time. And you know, being in his own backyard and having the crowd behind him and him coming forward and mixing it up, it's all gonna play dividends, I think. Steven Peterson might not have that quick start, but he'd be able to break him down kind of down the stretch. So I believe he's born in California, but fights full-time out of Texas. They'll have the fans behind him. They should have the judges behind him. If he can keep this thing relatively competitive, he probably beats Luke Alexander. But I think it's going to be one of those close, tight-knit, maybe a split-decision type fight that uh, the underdog is going to have his moments. I feel like Alexander is a lot more physical. I feel like Alexander you know, has some decent striking. And when you look at his UFC debut, he took it on short notice against uh, Joannerson Brito, you know, it was a Sherman tank of a man, you know, like the guy's a beast amongst beasts and a quick finisher. So he got caught up against him, sure. But against Peterson, he might actually have a little time to get into his comfort zone and, and, and show you a better version of himself. So if I needed to squeeze another underdog, I feel like I would take that shot on Lucas Alexander, but I wouldn't mind Steven Peterson as well. Kind of a 50-50 go. All right. Trevin Giles against Preston Parsons, minus 120 to even money. It's a pure coin flip situation we have on the go here. The over two and a half is juiced up now to plus 140. The under two and a half rounds is minus 170. So one of these guys is going to knock each other out? No, I think this thing goes team in a decision, to be honest with you. Like, Trevin Giles used to be a good prospect, used to have some decent hands. But uh, I don't know, man. He pursued like a, he was going to be a police officer in Texas for a while kind of pursued that for a little bit. It wasn't taking his training as seriously. It was fighting at 185 pounds where he just never seemed to really fit in the division. And uh, it never hit prospect status, man. Like, fanned out, not too good. So he decides, you know what? I need to focus on one thing, one thing alone. Leads the cop gig. Drops down to 170 pounds. Physically looks a lot better. The results, still not there. It just, it didn't really matter. I don't think he ever really hit that potential, hit that momentum. Hit at him at his best would give Preston Parsons all sorts of trouble. You know, he's a decent enough counter wrestler. You saw him fight Roman Deletes. In fact, he beat Roman Deletes. And Deletes wasn't able to have a whole lot of prolonged uh, success with the wrestling and the grappling. So in some ways, I feel like Giles 
could be okay when he is at his best, but he's super low output. The power's not quite there anymore, and uh, I just don't see it for him anymore. Right after the Dolites win, which was, you know, aged extremely well, he loses to Dreykus to places by second-round knockout. The first round, super gun-shy, not willing to engage. Second round, almost afraid to engage, gets himself knocked out. Fights Michael Morales, gets himself knocked down in the first round. Durability had never been a question for Giles. Now it's a bit of a, job, uh, a question. And he gets this Lewis Koski. Now, Lewis Koski is a one-round fighter. Well, Lewis Koski didn't do shit for 12 minutes of that fight, and Giles just stood at him and, and stared and did nothing. Koski landed one takedown, 50 significant strikes over 50 minutes, or 15 minutes. It's embarrassing. And yet, Giles stares at him. So that's what it dawns on me. If, if you look back when he fights really good guys, maybe he fights okay. When he fights bad guys, he fights bad. Fights to his opponent's level. Can't trust him. So he ends up being a grappling match against a friend of mine, Mike Malott. Now, Mike Malott used to fight at 145 pounds, moves to 155, now fights in the UFC at 170 pounds. Giles, he was fighting in the UFC at 205 and 185. So Giles is going to be way bigger than Mike Malott. And then they got in there. Mike was bigger than, than Trevin Giles. He took him down pretty easily. He choked him out pretty easily. I can't get behind Trevin Giles. I just don't think he's got it anymore. He's disinterested. And the thing with Preston Parsons is that he's a solid enough wrestler. His striking looked a lot more improved, a lot better in his last fight against Evan Elder. So definitely something that he's been working on. But he's got some solid wrestling. He trains out of a really good gym. I uh, I think that he's making improvements. He's still only 27 years old. And his ability to have a little bit of volume, have a little bit of more comfortableness in stand-up, I think Giles is not going to pull away. Giles is not going to sting him. Giles is not going to out-volume him. And it's just be comfortable long enough to switch in that takedown. He's able to switch the takedowns. I think Parsons is able to edge out Giles. The one worry would be, I always laugh and say that Texas is the worst commission I've seen in MMA. And it is. And like I don't love betting close decisions where I need one guy to wrestle the other guy, and then I'm going to win a decision in Texas. I need something a little more apparent. But uh, if I got good plus money, great. But there's really no plus. This is like a 50-50 fight by the line, 120 plus 110. Like There's no real clear-cut underdog. But the pick, I think, would be Preston Parsons, barring a bad judge's decision. All right, and I'm going to throw that on just based on what you said of going to the distance because the prize picks number on this fight is only 10 minutes. It was third round starts it's a winner so that's going to go on the ticket for the end of the show if you're paying attention again code dop at prizepicks.com get that match deposit of up to 100 dollars cj vergara against daniel oh i thought it was gonna be lacusta but it's not it's lacerda 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 is that right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Custy Lacerda. Yeah, Custy Lacerda. Old plus 205. Custy Daniel Lacerda against, yeah, minus 240 on the other side. The over one and a half is plus 155 right now. The under one and a half rounds, minus 185. The prize picks fight time, one round, five minutes. <laughs> I got the over on one single round just because, like, they're 125. Guys, right? This is we gotta fight for more than five minutes. Like, come on. But uh yeah, Daniel Lacerda really very much is his his own worst enemy. The guy's extremely explosive. And when I fast, this boy is fast. He kick you in the head before you even know he was lifting his foot. Uh unfortunately in the UFC, a lot of these guys are also fast, especially <laughs> at 125, and it just hasn't really translated. So yeah, he can kick you, he can knock you out with some crazy hook kick but uh again when we talk about one round guys when we talk about guys that fall apart after the first five minutes yeah lacerda is exactly that 
in his debut, he fought Jeff Molina, who's now banned from the UFC um, for betting scandal. Doesn't matter. He fights Jeff Molina. The first round, he looked okay, but you can see minute to minute, he's slowing down. Minute to minute, he's not as athletic. He's not as explosive. 42 seconds into the second round, he gets knocked out. They rebook him against Francisco Figueredo, who nobody knew had some spectacular ground game. Knee bars him in little over a minute. And then his last fight against Victor Altamirano, he dropped Altamirano. He a clean knockdown. Again, these guys that are very explosive, one-round guys, they're dangerous that early go. You survive the early go, they fall apart. He ends up getting TKO'd near the end of one. So, yeah, this guy does not figure to go past two rounds. However, prize picks got it lined up. One round, I'm tempted to say that that it probably does see over because uh, I would think if you're his coaching staff, it's like, listen, kid, you got to slow this thing down a little bit. He's not 35 years old. He's a first-round finisher. This is how he needs to fight. Daniel Pineda, old dog. You can't teach him new tricks. That's how he needs to fight. Lacerda's only 28 years old. I feel like they could tell him, kid, slow down. Take your time. You've got an entire cage. It's not the apex, right? You've got an entire cage to work with. You know, set it up a little bit. And then Vergara, meanwhile, I don't think he's a quick finisher. He's a guy that's going to break you down. So this is another excellent live betting spot because Lacerda probably beats Vergara for the first three minutes, the first four minutes, maybe wins a 10-9 first round. Maybe scores a knockdown in that first round. And then for whatever reason, if Lacerdo knocks it out in the first round, you don't even have to touch it at all. But if this thing gets out of one round, CJ Vergara's best path to victory is, well, the best thing about him is uh, he's gritty. He's tenacious. He won the third round against Ode Osborne. You know, he's, he, he won the, the Clates and Rodriguez fight. Same thing. Come forward. Come forward. Mix it up. Make it a, make it a dirty fight if you need to. So that's what he's going to do here against Lacerda. Lacerda is faster. He's more athletic. He's more explosive. He's got the power advantage. He's got the striking advantage. He does not have the heart. He does not have the cardio. Most of these fights end up being won by the fighter who has more heart and more cardio. So I feel like Vergara is going to break. This line is terrible. This is a bad line for a flyweight fight. This is a bad line for a CJ Vergara fight. But like he is the rightful winner. That I do understand. So the pick would be Vergara to improve this thing. Bear inside the distance, you know, under two, under under one and a half. I don't love the under one and a half. I could see this thing getting right to about one and a half. But in all those instances, right over one and a half is great on prize picks because we need one round. So even Dredrick Tatum's manager would tell Mo Sis like, three rounds, Mo, three rounds. I just need one, Pat. Give me one round, Pat. Give me one round. All I need from Lacerda, we can cash here. Yeah, I was looking for... Or what would, like, Vigera by knockout be? Those lines aren't posted everywhere as of right now. So, or even Vigera inside the distance isn't posted. So you're going to have to wait till later in the week for that if you want to jump on it. Manuel Torres versus Trey Ogden, minus 145 to plus 125. At least at this point of the card, we're now down to some pretty close fights. I mean, 45 to plus 125 is a little bit better than a coin flip. So do you like Manuel Torres here? Ogden, yeah. So unfortunately, we got to wait so long to get a couple dog plays. But uh, yeah, I feel like Trey Ogden's live for the underdog spot here. I didn't really love the guy coming into the UFC, known as a grappling specialist. He got outstruck by Jordan Levitt. And I mean, he got outstruck by Jordan Levitt standing on the outside and allowing Jordan Levitt just to, to spam kicks. And as frustrating as it is to see a guy not be able to make any type of adjustments, as, as frustrating as it is to watch a guy lose a striking battle to potentially one of the lower level strikers of the division. It was a great learning experience. And oftentimes in the sport is about learning experience. So he takes the lesson from Jordan Levitt. They're like, dude, you could, did you know that you could win a fight standing on the outside and just kicking the guy's leg? 
You don't have to try to engage him. You don't have to try to take him down. You don't have to sit down on your best right hand. You just got to outwork him. He takes this valuable information and puts it to extremely good use in his next fight. He comes in as a 310 underdog against Daniel Zellhuber. Now, Daniel Zellhuber is known as the golden boy. He's 23 years old, Mexican prospect guy. Looks good. Looks good on the contender series. Moves full-time to Las Vegas. He's training at the best gym with the best coaches and the best training partners. And they're talking about him. Trey Ogden comes in as a plus 310 underdog. Use the valuable lesson that Levitt taught just out this some bitch. That's what he did. He worked him the entire time. He kept on him. He, you know, whether if you couldn't get out the wrestling, no problem. Span the leg, make him work, make him carry you, make him just go. And Zell Huber just didn't have the answer for him. So to me, that was a solid win for Ogden. That this guy's smart. This guy can make improvements. He is 33 years old, so very much a gatekeeper. Don't know how much better he is going to get, but he's going to be able to make a better use of his skill set. Manuel Torres. Manuel Torres is another Mexican prospect. Keep in mind, he ain't Daniel Zellhuber. This guy would be a sizable underdog to Daniel Zellhuber. He looks to be a, just a pure first-round finish kind of guy. Last night, 327 of the first round. Before that, 210 of the first round. That was on contender series. Um, uh, before that, 25 seconds of the first round. Before that, a minute three of the first round. Before that, loses in a minute 23. And his other loss is in 59 seconds. Both of those losses, 23 and 59 seconds, are by submission and Trey Ogden's a BJJ black belt and a grappler. This fight hits the ground. Ogden's live for that submission. Not sure what the price is on that, but Ogden by submission is most definitely live and on the table. Ogden is a guy that can fight two, three rounds. He's got a little more cardio. Whereas I don't see that Emmanuel Torres. He's just been finishing guys very quickly. His UFC debut, quick finish. Before that, quick finish on the contender series. The last time he went past the first round <clears throat> was five years. And you want a split decision. So what does that tell If he doesn't finish you in the first round, he gets tired. Once he gets tired, he starts to slip. And you can watch back that Enrique Gonzalez fight. Very much he's gassed out after the first round. So to me, that's the path here for Ogden. Overcome a bad first round, just like a lot of your companions on this card are going to have to do, take over in the second and the third, make it happen. So I will take that underdog play on uh, Trey Ogden to repeat. Vincis Salvador and Victor Alamoreno. How close am I on those? This is Vinicius. I figure like that was a straightforward. Well, I, I, see, th- see, this isn't fair. It can't be Vinicius because there's a letter missing. Then, if that's the case, from what Paul wrote down for me, if it's Vinicius, oh, well, that's that's Playboy Paul writing that down for you. Who knows? Where head was at. You got a double bachelor party trial. Um, yeah, <laughs> Vinicius Salvador, right? Pretty straightforward. Victor My- Altamirano. Well, it's minus one twenty against even money so another coin flip here and the over under in rounds is is what is it here it's one and a half rounds and it's minus 180 to the over for one and a half so it seems like they mispriced the round when they dropped the opening lines yeah yeah I, this one's gonna be a, a closely contested scrap so i'm not sure it matters who's the minus 120 or who's the plus 120 it feels like it's gonna be a pretty relatively competitive one um. Yeah. Sorry, Paul listed. Who was the official favorite right now? Sa- Salvador plus... is the, Salvador is the favorite at minus one twenty. Mm. Yeah. See, I was in at Salvador. The plus money. It's a 50-50 fight. You're not getting any real plus money. But yeah, I mean, this fight's a kind of a pass all around. This is the way I see it going. Vinicius Salvador is an excellent kickboxer. He's got a lot of power. Another one of these guys. It's a finisher. 
but I've got a little more confidence that he might be able to actually continue that pace into the later rounds. You saw him in the contender series against Shannon Ross. His biggest issue to me is his takedown defense. Against Shannon Ross, Ross didn't try to take him down. One. He tried to take him down once, and he, uh, he stuffed it. But outside of that, his striking looked good. It looked accurate. That, that can throw speed, can throw volume, and has a decent amount of power. Ends up catching Ross and knocking him out. Ross not really known for a great but it's a solid win for Vinicius. So signs to the UFC. Dana gets pen to paper, and this will officially be his UFC debut. But uh, Victor Altamirano is just very hittable. Like, he's had a similar path. He won the Contender Series. His fight in the Contender Series uh, against Carlos Candelaro, he wins a split decision. People were so upset thinking that he should have lost that fight that they don't sign him. Dana says, you got to come back and fight in contenders again. So he does. And he loses a split decision against Carlos Hernandez, which I agree with. I thought he lost. But they sign him because, you know what, two fights on the contender series, both split decisions. This kid's exciting. Sure. He fights Daniel Lacerda, who we've already talked about. Lacerda's not very good. Lacerda catches him clean and puts him down. Once he got back up, Lacerda was huffing and puffing, and that was it. Morano blew his house down, but he's extremely hittable. That would be the question for me. So Vinicius is going to be able to have ample opportunity to find his mark, touch this guy up, land shots, and potentially knock him out. The thing with Alta Morano, though, is he's Mexican, so knocking him out, one hell of a task. Good luck. And uh, his wrestling is not terrible. Like, he'll get taken down a lot. He'll score takedowns. He'll do a lot of scrambles, and he'll cause you to work because he can work for 15 minutes. I'm not as positive that Vinicius Salvador can do the work for 15 minutes. Or is wrestling for the next five not going to slow him down? Striking for the next five is going to touch him up a little bit. And then the third round, if he's keeled over and it's 1-1, Altamirano is live, right? So Altamirano's fight split decision, split decision. You're seeing cl the closeness and the competitiveness of it, but he can go to 15. Vinicius, I think he's a better fighter. I think he's faster, better strength, bigger power in his shots. He's going to touch him up early, but another live betting situation. Because if he doesn't knock out Altamirano, I see him kind of letting this thing slip away from him down the stretch. When it was plus money, Vinicius, I take Vinicius. If you're telling me it's plus money, Altamirano, I kind of tempted to just do that. Because the name of the show is Dog or Pass for a reason. Either give me the dog, whoever it is, or just pass. You don't have to bet every single fight. You can just enjoy fights. This one will be enjoyable, but it'll be greasy from a betting perspective. It's going to be the same thing for the final fight on the card as well, because it's another minus 120 against the even money, so a coin flip situation. We got Haley Cohen against... Tamir's Vidal at plus 100? That sound about right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Haley Cowan, she's very boring, not a very entertaining fighter. She spent a lot of time in the clinch. Uh, not very good off her back. Decent enough wrestling that if she can use the clinch to get the takedown, maybe she spends some time on, on, on top of you, a little bit of ground and pound. Who knows? Striking is very robotic, and she's not comfortable with it. Her style alone is not enough for her to get to the UFC. So she instead comes to the Contender Series, where you got one chance to impress Dana White. She ends up fighting a close, competitive, split-decision victory over uh, Claudia Late. And uh, the thing is, Haley Cowan's good-looking, man. This is a good-looking girl. She's marketable enough that I feel like, why not bring her into the UFC? And old Uncle Dana's feeling generous, so he brings he brings her into the UFC. She's booked to fight Eileen Perez. I had picked Eileen Perez. Cowan ends up having a bad weight cut that puts her in the hospital like the day of weigh-in. Body shutting down, bad weight cut. That was a month ago. So how bad was her in shape? I don't know. What happened to her? I don't know. But that doesn't really put a whole lot of like, doesn't inspire confidence that you're a 
bad weight cut that hospitalized you a month ago, and now you're going to jump in there and fight somebody else in the UFC. I can't quite get behind it. Demiris Vidal, she's no world beater. She actually fought that Eileen Perez that we talked about, won the fight when she girl landed illegal knees on her in a fight that, I don't know, I thought she was going to lose, but regardless, it's like she's not very good. She's still very green. Um, but I don't know, she's, she's working. She's a work in progress. If you look at some of that tape on her from the regional scene, they're fighting in like the back of a small little gym. They're fighting in like a damn near alleyway. They're fighting at a very, very low level. She doesn't have the means. She doesn't have the resources. Coming to the UFC, it's life-changing, right? You have the means. You have some money your pocket you have an invitation to come to the ufc performance institute so what you'll see are these very young green i hate to say poor but in, let's say impoverished fighters once they get a better training situation sky's the limit for them i'm not saying she's ever going to be a world contender a world champion a top 15 type fighter but she's 24 years old and i feel like she's someone that could make improvements her ufc debut she wins for, uh, by a flying knee in the first round i didn't take as much out of that but i do see that she's a great She's working on some new techniques for this fight with Haley Cowan. I think she's a more dynamic striker. She could win those striking exchanges in the clinch. Cowan thrives in the clinch, but uh, I think that tomorrow's Vidal is going to be a big boss, physically strong. She had some success with Eileen Perez in the clinch as well, so it could be comparable. I just feel like one fighter is going to be working, the other fighter is going to be clinging on. So for that reason, the judges should should score it for tomorrow's Vidal. But Haley Cowan's from Waco, Texas. I don't know if she was on the compound or not, but she is from Waco. Now, maybe she gets like the hometown rub. Like, that's what I'm worried about when they go to Texas is I need a finish or a beatdown. A closely contested clinch war fight, that does not bode well against the hometown person. So uh, I could see this thing being a split decision, screw job, or just a bad decision. Or a good decision, doesn't matter, but likely a competitive tight decision. Reminder to everyone again, I'm going to give one of you $100 straight cash if you subscribe to the Dogger Pass podcast on Apple or Spotify. Leave that five-star review. Say something nice about Paul Shaughnessy. When he's back from vacation, it'd be nice to see some nice things written about him for once. Come on. Be generous, people out there. Let's pump up Paul's tires a little bit. He's going to have the week off. He's going to come back in shape. I'm sure he's hung over for four straight days. That would be impossible. So... Subscribe, leave the rating and review, five stars. And uh, if it's on Spotify, you can screenshot it to me at the PME that you've done it. I'll leave your Twitter handle or email in the review as well so I can put you into that draw. And then if you win that $100, it becomes super easy to win a bunch of money because, Cody, let's have a win in PRP. What is it? Hit him with the PRP. It's going to be a little chalk heavy this week, understandable. But, uh, yeah, we just need the proper bounces. We are going with Corey Sanhagen, Holly Holm, Nate the Landwehr, Macy Barber, Alex Perez, dog number one, Chidi Chidi Bang Bang in Jaquani, Tucker Lutz, Lucas Alexander, dog number two, Preston Parsons, CJ Vergara, uh, Trey Ogden, dog number three, Victor Altamirano, technically dog number four, Tamiris Vidal, technically dog number five. Those last two are not really underdogs. That's not, I don't think you can consider that a dog, but, uh, yeah, whatever. Like, listen, it's going to be a tightly contested fight. When you see the PRP, that stuff will be at the bottom. The stuff that's tight, the stuff that we think we should win. Parker Lutz. Man, this is not that great of a card when you think about it. I think I think straight up picks will be good. Certain props. I really like prize pick selection this week. I think there's a lot to be offered. But in terms of the parties, yeah, we'll, we'll need a couple bounces, and we'll probably use Corey Sanhagen at the top 
as a hedge out opportunity. But yeah, wait for Saturday, see what comes up. Watch weigh-ins, make sure everyone uh, looks good. And again, a lot of quick finishers on this card. I'm betting against them, but it's MMA. Like if any of them, one of them come through, could be a little bit problematic. So going to try to be smart on this one. So two things. One, if you do put Sanhagen at the top as a potential hedge opportunity, you said about Marlon Vera, you might want to wait for your hedge until after round one and actually pay a bigger price on it, which would be much better. So you wouldn't have to pay the plus 155. You might have like a plus 225 or plus 250 if he loses round one to come into. And like you said, Sandhagen more than likely wins round one. Although, but then you get into that circumstance where like, well, my guy's already winning. How could he lose kind of thing, right? Yeah. And you know what? Like same thing. You go back to that Valentina Shevchenko upset from a couple of weeks back. It's like, she's the last piece of this parlay. So every relying on her to win she's a minus 850 favorite when the fight starts so very easy to hedge out against her some people like to let her roll and she loses the first round so after the first round it's like shit could have hedged out but now it's half the amount half the amount offered so if you take it you feel like a putz because she ends up winning the second round and winning the third round and then is now a minus 1400 so the problem with hedging is do you wait mid-round? Do you just do it before the fight starts? But like anything, it's coulda, shoulda, woulda. If you hedge and the f that you had initially wins, feel like an idiot. Shoulda let it ride. Believe me, when you it's the other way around, especially if you've gotten nine fights right and it's the 10th fight. We haven't officially hit a PRP this year, but we went 10 for 11 and the last fight is the main event. Why would you know? And it paid it was 108 to 1, right? So so why not just head out and take your fifty four? Like why do you why do you gotta one guy he was out of state and the state he was in wouldn't let him bet. So you know, tough situation. But for the most part, it's like we're setting it up for a reason, man. It's the same way you gamble anything. It's not just, you know, I got cojones, you know, I got a I, I got a big bank let it ride for the hell of it. It's like, man, we're gonna do this week in and week out. And this is our ninth year of doing this show. This is like my 12th year of gambling on sports. Like, well, I mean, I don't really bet other sports. I tried to bet basketball, man. Fucking Purdue. Why didn't you tell me Purdue sucked? Uh, well, you could have tuned into the Pat Mayo experience. I heard March, he got Andrew March Andrew. Madness and saw who, and who Cuss picked as the winner of March Madness. That all makes a lot more sense. I saw that after and I was like, that makes sense. Because the stat was one in the last 150. One, one seed versus it was one of the last 150 and uh as soon as it happened i tweeted something out the next day someone's like Andercast, and i was like no way and i look into it him is got an uncanny ability for sure man for sure which is why people love tim or hate him whatever your opinion is doesn't matter tim is the gift that keeps giving prize picks prize picks pack i'm gonna give you some prize picks so the, the main one that i'm playing is that Vegara fight out of round one, so more than five minutes of fight time with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang over seven and a half fight time minutes. Let's see here. $133 pays $400 on that payout. And just for fun, played another one. Sandhagen, more than 107 and a half significant strikes. Uh, the two that I just mentioned, Vegara over fight time and Chitty Chitty Bang over fight time and trevin giles fight over 10 minutes of fight time as well 50 dollars pays 500 at 10 times your money with that one so prizepicks.com code dop gets you that deposit match of up to 100 dollars. so that theoretically you'll have 200 dollars to throw down if you want to or you want to play some bankroll management i don't care what you do just sign up for the code of dop right cody 
Yes, Dan Ryan. Dan, so far, the fans have been good. Uh, not even just like us promoting picks, but I'm just seeing in general, like people that do end up playing, people that end up seeing it. It's like you get burned on a parlay, you're pissed off. The money line, now, oh, they're like, there's there's no juice left on like I think it's a really fun way. In fact, bookmakers are now just trying to basically take those and offer points and offer overs on strikes and takedowns and everything else under the book because they're seeing fantasy MMA kind of way funner. So uh, yeah, sign up for DOP and get in on the action. Worst case scenario, they're gonna they're gonna match you on the promo code for the first deposit. Get an extra hundred dollars. Have some fun with it. Uh, if you do good, yeah, keep the thing rolling. If you do bad, it, it's a hundred bucks. There's, there's worst uh, investments out there, but Hopefully I can do my part this week. Hit something good. So far I'm looking at Sanhagen, Landwehr, Lutz, pace two to one. And once I throw in a couple dogs on there and a couple cheaty bang bangs, it's like then we'll run it up to those higher ones. But I just need like the top three or four to come through. I would be happy with that. So we'll leave it at that. We'll catch you guys next time. Pat, my man, always a pleasure being joined by you and uh, talking fight. I'll have to come in April and, uh, and do an in-studio show. Well, yes, and I, I probably won't be here. I'm going on vacation starting on april 12th, but paul will most definitely be here and megan will probably be here as well i don't know what megan's schedule well, I'll is move it back uh, sometime in the summer when you are free i gotta see my guy that, that's perfect you bring the kids down the kids can meet each other it'll all be excellent stuff but i did want to ask you two DraftKings things before we get out of here if people are looking to punt this week looking for someone super cheap based on what you said not that they're going to win but the way that they can win it's like daniel pineda and that Custy Lacerda guy would be the two to go for. Yeah, so as much as it pains me to say it, Nate Landwehr either beats the crap out of you or he's going to get caught in the first round. So by that definition, Lingo, like he would be a pun play, could get a knockout just because that's what Nate sometimes does to himself. He'd be um, I would say the one that you mentioned, uh, Daniel Lacerda, yeah, 100%. That guy, very explosive. He'd be live. Pineda. Vinicius, Vinicius Salvador, yeah, Pineda. Pineda's a one-round dynamo. Like if he's gonna win, gonna win in that first round, he's gonna get the job done. So those would all be your pun plays. What I say from those four options, I I would probably lean to. Uh, hard to say. I mean, I I, I, I would go I, with I, Daniel I, Lacerda. Yeah, I don't think it matters so much which one that you choose you identify which one of those four are the ones that have the most upside because you play multiple lineups you can kind of just play your lineup sprinkle those four throughout them don't have to like double up on them and then you can kind of hedge yourself out and try to get your team to the front or figure out using ownership which side of the other fight is the most owned and just blindly take the other side because then if let's say Landwehr, <clears throat> for example is like 45 percent owned on DraftKings, that means inherently is only going to be like eight percent owned lingo not only do you have a low ownership guy who gets a finish and scores a bunch of points you've also eliminated 42 percent of the field at the same time now you only have to beat 58 percent of the field and he, he's probably your best bet because he's a sizable enough underdog and yeah i think you're going with the popularity people not, like nate landwehr he will be high ownership traditionally he scores a ton of points so he'll be heavily owned when you're looking at the dogs the chance sir to geez you know he's a first round Finisher. Oh, geez. Guy like Salvador. You know he's a first-round finisher. Uh, some of these guys are Pineda, 100%. This guy, at his best, is a first-round finisher. They'll take the action. I think a guy like Austin Lingo, who's not known as a first-round finisher, will fly through the cracks. And it's not like, well, how does a guy that's not a first-round finisher suddenly become a first-round finisher? It's like, 
Nate will run himself into a wall. Okay, he could knock himself out just as much as he can knock you. Like he is a Paul would say it. Shout out to my boy Paul, a shit eating wild man, and I expect him to fight like that. So uh, when you're playing fantasy MMA, <clears throat> what I've noticed over the years is like you probably got multiple lineups. But yeah, the lineups that are going to have one of those guys when they do score, they should pay off pretty handsomely. You can follow Cody on Twitter to catch the final PRP on Saturday morning at CJ Saftik. Of course, follow Paul at Paul Shea. We shall return a week from now, fresh off a, as Cody mentioned, a double bachelor party. Four times away. So a lot of fun for Paul the next few days and a lot of recovery. Paul, before he hosts the show again in a week's time, I want to thank Megan on the sticks for producing the show. And of course, I want to thank myself, Pat Mayo. For not only executive producing the show, but stepping in to be a host. And very clearly, I know a ton about UFC now that I've listened to Cody. And hopefully I can win my bets this week. Hopefully you do too on the prize picks, on the betting, whatever it may be. I hope a lot of money goes into your account. Smash like and sub to the channel out. And I will see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.